0: Hey everyone, it's LaShonda, the co-host of the Labors of Love podcast, and today I am super excited to have a conversation with my guest. Uh, She is the owner of Inventera Counseling and an Enneagram therapist, Melinda Olson. Hi, Melinda. Hey, how are you today? I wish I could see the dance that she was doing, <laughs> like the happy dance. I too am doing a happy dance. So Melinda, <laughs> I'm going to start with you. Like I do all our guests and ask, what is your labor of love?
1: I love this question. Okay. My labor of love is learning to use the Enneagram, both to help myself be a better person, to be more aware and care for myself. But then also to use the Enneagram to help other people know and understand themselves and not just like our coping mechanisms, but our true and deep essential selves, which is what I think the Enneagram ultimately does.
0: Love it so much. So over the years, I've had multiple guests on who have engaged with the Enneagram um, in in various ways, but let's, I have tons of new listeners and as a refresher, can we just start by you telling folks what is the Enneagram?
1: Yep, absolutely. So at its most basic, the Enneagram is a personality descriptor, right? Nine personality types, nine different constellations of showing up in the world or ways to show up in the world. Get a little deeper And those nine different ways of showing up in the world really come out as coping mechanisms that we needed to take on in order to survive in order to get what we needed. um, It shapes our, uh, yeah, it shapes our needs. It shapes what we feel like we need in the world and ways that we get them. Right. So that's one layer deeper. And then I think when you get to kind of much more depth in the Enneagram, it, can also show us a way to get out of this box that we had to place ourselves in—that personality, that ego—to um, get out of that, to become aware of the ways that we trap ourselves, and then ultimately find a way out, so we understand who we really are.
0: Mm, beautiful description. What I appreciate about the Enneagram—and let's be clear—if um, the Enneagram is ocean deep, I'm, I'm, I'm up to my ankle. In previous episodes, I said I got a toe in, so I feel like I've grown and learned some more. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. a few things that I really appreciate about the Enneagram is one, there's no good type, or, good type or bad type. True. It is not about, and it's not aspirational. You know, sometimes mm. people can do things and be like, "I want to be a a, a blah,", a blah mm. because there's how I show up in the world. But I value helping, and so mm. I want to be a two. It's Mm. not something about how do I become something else? It really is a mirror that allows you to look and go, oh, the constellation of where I was born to what family and social system I was born, the timing that I was born required me to develop a certain way of showing up in the world so that I could survive. And this, the Enneagram provides a nice, mirror for folks to kind of look in and go oh that's there and the beautiful thing about it is we have aspects of all nine types yep yep we just lean very heavily out of certain ones and I love what you said about it providing almost a roadmap for us to de-box ourselves Mm. right
1: that's the thing I love most about it
0: And when I think about that use of language, what the image that came to me are, think dolls or action figures, Hmm. those who don't take them out of the box, usually Hmm. have an intention of preserving them as they are. Yes. So that they can look at them as they are and actually, in some case, wait until they accrue value Mm -hmm. and then sell them. Yes and there's something about those who immediately my kids not only do they debox stuff but they have absolutely no value for the box like <laughs> they, they open down. things and you're and it's just like it didn't even have to be open that way like yeah. yep. why did you have to sh- just rip it to shreds we have just the same to get kids? It open probably uh-huh. uh, <laughs> and so i in saying this i realize how How tense it gets for me when Mm. I watch my kid destroy a box to get something out. There's Mm. always this part of me that wants to be like, there is a neater, there is a a Mm. better, there is a right way Mm. to open that box. And in some ways, like I've said countless Mm. times, my kids are my greatest teachers. Mm. Like, what if I shredded the box? What if I valued what was inside more than Mm. I valued the packaging? That's a whole Mm. word right there. Mm -hmm. Right. So, absolutely. That's what I love. So
1: good. So, no, that's so deep. Before
0: we dive further into Enneagram stuff, is there a person, situation, situation? I say situation twice, (laughs) instance, whatever, that where is this labor of love in the Enneagram rooted for you?
1: I think in the very beginning, there was something inside me that has always been, maybe it was gifted to me. I don't know. I don't know why, but it's always been motivated for myself to grow, like for myself to know who I am and grow. That's probably because I came out of a background of a lot of trauma in my childhood, right? And though I would never wish that on myself or anyone else, I do believe that they out of that suffering can come sometimes uh, a motivation to grow beyond or to um, to figure out like why why am I the way I am how can I not repeat this how can I like resolve not to visit this on the next generation should I decide to have children how can I make myself and my relationships better so that I'm not because because trauma you know we when we have trauma, it, it it finds its way into our bodies, right? It, it finds its way into our DNA. Like there've been studies that it gets passed down, right? And so how can I start to do that work of healing in myself so that I can continue to um, maybe reduce that in the generations beyond myself and hopefully for my own life, God, like I, <laughs> I want that for myself too. And so I think that was the out of that trauma began um, that journey toward awareness and just deeply wanting to know who I am, how I can grow and how I can care for myself and my relationships better not to visit that kind of trauma uh, on, on others around me. Right. So that's where it started. And then I had kids, kid. Mm-hmm. It sometimes it feels like kids, but it's kid. <laughs> <laughs> that I had kid. And it's like, Oh, man, like, you're right. Like they are like, he is my greatest teacher. You know, I've been married for 18 years. And that to a five an Enneagram five, right. So he is my opposite in every way. I call five
0: aliens, by the way. Uh, Yeah. Um...
1: And they feel like aliens, which makes my (laughs) heart so sad. But yes, they feel that way. Mm -hmm. And, and so we are so different. And that has been a huge teacher for me. But my kid, he came like, bursting into our lives. And I was like, oh man, like I thought I, I thought I knew myself and I do not. How's your, I how old's your, son six.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So I, I would say that like the, I've known the Enneagram for 20 years, but I got to say like the depth of the Enneagram for me and like really digging into that labor of love was when the rubber hit the road and I had my own kid and I was like, oh man, I don't know anything. Mm -hmm. I don't know anything. So, yeah, it it just really became very real for me. And then I really noticed how that work, uh, my own Enneagram work, really helped me become more aware of what I was needing in ways that I never thought that I would, you know, um, grow, because it's just so antithetical to my coping mechanisms. And yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Healing from our own trauma being the impetus or launch pad for healing work for others is definitely my story. It's the story of mm-hmm. many people that I know. Yep. You know, I, I feel right. it necessary to go back to the five. I, I have, you know, I want to shout out Leslie Hirschberger, former guest, you know, I mm. I I, I learn my Enneagram stuff from her. <laughs>
1: mm.
0: But what wow. I love about it is she's she's rooted in the narrative tradition. We do a lot of panels. Mm. and there's, I love
1: the narrative tradition. Oh, my God.
0: It's because I one, it. Shonda's not going to read a book. <laughs> she's just not going to do it. So, oh. but sit and connect with another person around their story. Yep. Uh, heaven. Yep. Yep. So being able to hear people on panels. And there's one particular five that I get to engage with often. Mm. Um, working to get them on the podcast. We are aliens cool. to each other. It is just oh, yes. so amazing, this two and five <laughs> sitting. And it's like, when you said you were married to five, I was like, <laughs> now that's a level in t- of intensity that I don't know that I could manage. Girl, um,
1: Girl but- you have, oh my God, so much. To s- I mean, well, yeah, it's, 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 yeah. And we're the, we're the uh, most intense types of our Enneagram types.
0: Yeah. There yeah. is an intensity around the twos. There's an intensity around the five, and and so, oh, yeah. like I, it, it's we still laugh about like how differently we embody the world. Oh yeah. Um, in such a way, so I love that. Now, yeah. I am always intrigued around how a person navigates whatever their labor of love is, based on their intersecting identities. Mm. And their relationship to the oppressive systems that Mm -hmm. we are constantly engaging with, particularly in our world, in our culture, in our country. And so can you talk a little bit about that and what what that journey has looked like over the last 20 years? Maybe starting with letting the listeners know what are your uh, intersecting identities?
1: Yeah, yeah. That's a great question. Um, so I am, um, I identify as biracial. I am um, both Caucasian and Black. Um, I am bisexual. Um, in a straight marriage, um, so a lot of what I find, I'm white. I'm white assumed, right? So there's a lot of um, invisibility, I think, in my identities. Um, and then, um, you know, I'm I'm femme AF. I am just a girl's girl. So that is, I would say those are my three major identities. Um, yeah. And I feel like part of this, right? Like I've noticed probably even in the last four or five years, how these intersect with my Enneagram journey, because right. Like being white passing, right. Being straight passing, being femme, right? Like I fit into all of these very stereotypical identities and I can have a lot of privilege. I do have a lot of privilege in that, but then having to wrestle with the fact and deeply wanting to integrate the fact that my essential true self includes these other things. And how do I navigate this world in this place of privilege and sometimes oppression, but also claiming these identities that mean so much to me? as a part of kind of claiming myself, and it can be a little controversial, which as a two, I don't want to do. I don't want to hurt anybody. I don't want to be controversial. I don't want to enter into spaces where I, like my presence could be hurtful for somebody else, right? And so I always feel like I'm tiptoeing around. Like, do I really belong in the LGBTQIA community? Do I really belong in the black community? Am I allowed to, make myself known and take up space, but I don't want to take up too much space because I deeply care about people who do experience oppression on the daily. And I get to hide if I want to, uh-huh. you know? So it's just a lot of navigating internally with all of that. And as a two, like ugh, not wanting to cause any issues, like not like wanting to care for people well and always putting myself last. Uh-huh. How do I do that? And so that that has been a huge question mark. I have not figured that out. I am still in the middle. I'm 40 years old. I have no idea how to navigate that well. Mm. So
0: I just want to name like the slight acceleration in my heart rate when you mm. were saying that, and a little bit of tension in my shoulders, mm. Mm. Um, a little something going on in my gut. Mm. You know, just just kind of naming the the somatic response that I'm having as I hear you share Um, because what, what came up for me was how um, unhidden, how visible a lot Mm. of my identities are Mm. and, and really just sitting with in some ways the privilege that I hold in that. So I am black appearing Mm. and that That is very visible from my skin tone to the texture of my hair.
1: Mm.
0: And it's interesting because ever since I was younger, before I had any capacity to truly understand why I knew the things I knew or why I felt the way I felt, I've always had this very compassionate place within me for biracial folk. Mm. Because there is this awareness that I had without knowing how that to be in the middle of something can be so uncomfortable and lonely and isolating. Like yeah. to to simultaneously be part of two identities that, let's be real, sometimes neither want to claim Yep. that I've always had such compassion and and just uh, empathy in some ways for, for that intersectionality. When you mentioned being bisexual as well it 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 seems a lot of times to be one of the most one of the invisible identities within the LGBTQIA plus yeah. community right yeah because yep. you can assume either yep.
1: right heterosexuality
0: yep. homosexuality and mm-hmm. and there is um I will say there is a uh what am I saying a mm, a convenience that in yes. lies these, these, these middle places, right. Because you can pick and choose based on whatever feels convenient. Now, as a, as a person who has done a lot of shape-shifting, but with very visible identities, I've had my Mm. own set of struggles, right. Mm -hmm. How do I shape myself into something that's palatable for this environment? Though my, what you see isn't going to shift, but I just sat and thought like, man, when you, when, when, I'm a chameleon by nature, but when you're, when you can look like a chameleon, like there's something about that, but then also imagining the challenge and difficulty in coming into authenticity. Yep. Because of that. So I'm a pause there. I saw a lot of nonverbal resonance, but I want to give you just kind of process that all out
1: loud. Oh yeah. And, and I just, and, and therein lies the conflict, right? and that that conflict I have in myself too, right? Because yeah, I, I am the ultimate chameleon. And even then, like, if I claim these identities that I know that are a part of myself that are more um, oppressed in the world, am I doing harm to the communities that I love so much? Mm. Mm-hmm. You know? and that that really and so there's a part of me that's scared right that should i claim these things that mean so much to me and that i've grown to really value and and i will say my racial identity is something i found out that i was biracial in 4th grade nobody told me beforehand
0: So I'm going to have to pause you and say, like, can we can we go on a story time?
1: Sure. No problem.
0: (laughs) Like, I'm like, I I could take that on surface, but I got questions. I'm I'm curious. So, you know, fourth grade is about 10 years old. Yep. And that's a decade of living. That's also, you know, three years past when the brain is beginning to develop its capacity Uh for abstract thought and becomes Uh less concrete, Uh, you know, left brain stuff starts coming online so we can be a little more critical and, uh, you know what I mean, and, and, okay, Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. do you mind?
1: No, not (laughs) at all. How does this come Mm. about? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, fourth grade, my grandfather passed away. And my mom's side of the family. So my mom's side of the family has always been very light skinned. Um, and so, but, uh, and various siblings of my mom either identify as black or not. My grandfather was identifiably black. Um, and so my grandfather passes away. Um, haven't really connected. I haven't, we live across the country from them. So I don't really know the side of the family. So we make an epic journey a driving journey to New Jersey from oh, that Oregon. Is,
0: that's like clear, literally across the country. Got it.
1: Yeah, and so we drive across the country. I'm so excited. I've talked to cousins on the phone. I've, I've never met them before. I'm so excited. I they park in front of this old 200 year old house, and my mom's like, "We're here. Go into the backyard. All your cousins are there." I'm like, "Great." I'm extroverted. I love people. Let's hang out. And I go into the I'm from Oregon. I'm from Oregon. It is the whitest place ever. I mean, especially in the 90s, right? I've I've seen maybe two black people in my school. Maybe it is white. I go into the backyard of my grandparents' house and I am one of three white people. Like everybody else is identifiably either mixed or black. I'm like what right I'm like uh, and I'm putting it together in the afternoon I'm like that afternoon I'm like am I allowed to am I allowed to cuss on this podcast (laughs) yes yeah (laughs) because I'm like oh shit like this is does this mean and it's like all these people like all these pieces coming together like these people are related to like they're related to me by blood I am oh Okay, and then my mom came from a very colorblind perspective, right? My mom looks; people think she's Italian. People think she's, you know, Mediterranean. They never think that she's black. I, am like, and she, she really came at things from a colorblind perspective, right? And so, I can't say anything. I can't ask any question. You're black. I can't ask that question. What is that? I can't ask that question, right? I can't ask it. Does that mean I'm racist, right? Like, if I'm surprised. So, and these are all the things going through my mind, at right? Years and then old. at 10 years old, and then, you know, we're in New Jersey and, and well, let's just, let's just claim a cultural difference right now, right? An Oregonian white girl with, you know, identifiably black kids from New Jersey, like they say things differently than I do, which I think would probably happen no matter what race you were across the country but it's like it's just a whole new world I'm like I I don't know how to function in this world I don't know how to navigate and I what is this
0: what was your relationship to because the question I'll sometimes ask folks regardless of their race but when did you know you were said race okay fourth grade my grandfather dies I go but how would you Beyond the fact of only having maybe encountered a couple of other melanated kids in school, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. what was your relationship to just race as a concept before this very pivotal moment in your childhood?
1: It was because my mom was colorblind, that colorblind perspective. It's like all, you know, people look different. They all have value you know, everybody, you know, everybody's the same inside. Right. And so while I acknowledge that my mom, I think came from a, a a kind place, I think that where that kind of let me down some is white is normative. I heard, I will say like, I heard the N word for the first time in kindergarten being slung at some other child. On the playground, right? And I was like, "Oh my god! Like this is so." That I think was my first conception, like, like, and you realization knew the word was bad.
0: What you knew the word was bad. I knew that
1: word was bad. I okay. knew that word was not okay. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, "Oh my god!" Like I, I remember checking in with that kid and making with the the girl, um, who had had that happen to her. Um, but yeah, right. So I knew that was bad. But it's still like that perspective still sometimes goes, um, like white is normative. I'm normative. Everyone else is kind of a deviation. Everybody's valued the same, but it's like, so I didn't really think about my own racial identity in that. Mm-hmm. right? So there's just um, and I think that's probably a true story for a lot of, you know, white passing white identified people.
0: How were you received by your family? when you walk into that backyard?
1: I think they were probably more used to kind of the biracial story of, um, our family because they just lived in it. There were other cousins that looked like me. Um, but because I was, I don't know, do you remember Full House? Yeah. Do you remember Kimmy from Full House? I do. The whitest, most, (laughs) she, I mean, it was, I feel like I felt sometimes like I was that white co-star on a black sitcom Oh, where I would come in and I would bop around with that like very white accent and be like, hi, everybody. How are you? And everybody was so like chill. I was like bopping around. That's, that's kind of how I felt. Interesting. I felt in that dynamic. Cause when I think of Kimmy,
0: Actually, the very first word that comes into my mind is boundaryless.
1: like <laughs> well, that just, also describes me. and here <laughs> we
0: are. <laughs> you know, I just think about like her unfettered access to a home that wasn't hers and yep. to the life and relationship that had nothing to do with her but yep. the the casual acceptance of her existing that way and people mm-hmm. navigating around it instead of yeah. putting boundaries in place. So yeah. that yeah. that's just the first thing i think of. That, I mean, when i think of kidney. you're not wrong. <laughs> So, did you find that at that, okay, you have this pivotal experience literally across the country, culture shock, all these things at ten. Yeah, yeah, did you maintain relationships with your family, namely, similar aged family cousins and things after that point?
1: I tried. Um, and I think that kind of distance when you're a kid can be pretty difficult to maintain that kind of contact. Mm-hmm. Um, I did visit my um my family for long periods of time over the summers after that point. So my parents would kind of do like family summer camp. Like, I think it was probably like parent break. (laughs) Parents get a break. Melinda gets to go and, you know, play and hang out with her cousins. Mm -hmm. So um, that happened for several summers after. Um, And then I did maintain relationship with Many members of my family after so, and we maintain a casual relationship now. Again, they they still live mostly on the east coast, all the way from New York, all the way down to Florida. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. So, um, and I'm still on the west coast. So, gotcha. are
0: you harder. an only child? I am. Okay, I was yep. wondering what what sibling relationships would look like yep. in that, but you're an only child. Okay, yep. I I appreciate that so much. I. I'm I'm glad that we're having this conversation because I don't know. Um, I don't know. I I it's I'm grateful for you to bring us into that world. Um, there's so much nuance and there's so much, there's just so much. And yeah. it's so easy to just things. Oh, it's just this. Anytime you say the word just you're oversimplifying I don't care what you're Mm. talking about Mm. and and so I appreciate the nuance especially having that experience as as a child right so you didn't stay in Jersey forever at some point you made that long trek back to Oregon yeah were there any lasting imprints of that experience that you can say stayed with you let's say throughout your schooling and into adulthood and if so what what were some of those things
1: I mean, I think after that happened, as I grew older, because, you know, there were also a lot of other, I was still in the middle of um, navigating kind of an environment of trauma at home. Um, I think, interestingly, while it produced some confusion, like, I, I would spend time thinking about like, what does this mean? Right? Like, I I came to discover that there were, um, family members on my mom's side of the family who actually moved away, you know, early on, um, severed ties with the family because they looked white, right. They could pass. And mm-hmm. so, um, there's a painful, I think, um, association in my family with that. Right. Um, and so knowing that eventually, uh, there was a lot of internal wrestling that I had too. like, if I don't mention this in my passing, is that what I'm doing? Mm. Am I severing off this part of myself that I don't want to, what does that, what does embracing this part of myself even look like? What does that even mean? Right. Is it, and as shallow as it sounds, is it, is it getting to know, you know, the, the kind of music that my cousins would listen to that I'd never heard, or is it understanding, you know, a history and a, a, a history of oppression that I didn't really have a handle on until, you know, later on. Um and probably into my, I mean I'd learned some about like the just oppressive history of black people and in you know in the length of the time that our country and you know the world has been in place. But um but yeah, wondering what like wondering what it meant for me to embrace that part of myself and understand what that looks like for me. And how to engage that for me. And I think that's probably the biggest question mark I've always had, right? So, and if entering those spaces, like I mentioned before, if even claiming those spaces and trying to enter into those spaces cause harm for that community that I'm entering into. Yeah. Yeah. So, so
0: profound. I, yeah, I really appreciate that. It leads me to this curiosity that I have around how, you know, we're talking at the heart level and beyond yeah. the body level of this experience that you have
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, with intersecting identities that are some seen, some not seen, but yeah. it also brings to mind the fetishizing, fetishizing, you know what I'm trying to say. Yeah, yeah, like, I know. I know. Uh, of, <laughs> of so many things but specifically I'll talk about you the Mm. biracial femme right Yep. there's so much fetishizing around your identity
1: from my
0: perspective right yeah and so I'm I'm wondering if you know if I'm if I'm hitting something if I'm on target by saying not Mm. only is there this personal exploration about what does this mean but the way that embrace maybe fully embraced by neither identity, yet there's this subculture, if you will, who mm-hmm. will look at you and 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 make you an object mm-hmm. of their affection um not affection. Um what's the word? Um it's not a hard word I just lost it obsession yes well not even obsession attraction there it is Uh, you know make you a center of their attraction honestly not wanting any of your identity but just liking the way you look Mm -hmm. and how you present have you had experiences with that
1: yeah but actually this is where we come right back right back around to the Enneagram right because I think my personality played into that I think that while I've been objectified, I've also objectified myself and laid myself out as an object for others to consume. Because if they like me, if they love, quote unquote, air quotes, love me, then what does it matter?
0: I need us to pause right there because that, that hit,
1: I don't know, my solar plexus, that
0: hit something. (laughs) Um, yeah. so relatable. So yeah. bringing it back to Enneagram, we'll say, okay, wrapped up in my 2 Yep. Wrapped up in my child of trauma survivor, which included sexual abuse that mm-hmm. opened my awareness to my body and sex before my body was ready and prepared yep. to be opened. Absolutely. I have but the interesting thing is, there are certain parts of my identity that for, let's say, the the general culture wasn't fetishizable.
1: Mm. And
0: how many times I wanted to be objectified.
1: Mm. Like,
0: I was like, I see me as an object as long as you see me. Like, mm-hmm. the thought of someone looking past me as someone Ooh. else. hurt so much that even if they were only looking at me to objectify me, I, I would have welcomed it. Yep. And I, I just, I don't think we talk about that enough.
1: (laughs) Agreed. Absolutely. It's, it's so, it's such a deep wound for the two. Right. And myself, I also have a history of sexual abuse, child sexual abuse. So that as well. And for me, right. The, it really hit me when you said I, the worst thing is to be looked past. Mm. I, uh, that, I mean, yes. And that is so, that has been my experience. And I think that has been such a two, that is such a two experience. Don't look through me, see me, love me because I don't love myself. I don't see myself. I need you to see me and I will do what it takes in order to be seen by you.
0: Absolutely. You know, as a two, we're externally focused. Absolutely. So the, 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 um, natural proclivity in a relationship is to see the other person and not see yourself. Absolutely. But still a deep desire to be seen and known. So I yes. get to see and know myself through you. Yes. Yes. But you don't see me either. So nope. I can't see myself. And 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 here's yes. the thing I will put everything of myself into you in hopes that it will yield a return yes. that
1: you yes. will do
0: the same for me.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: And it's, it's just, it's so crazy. So like those who have listened for a long time, you will have, I mean, echoes of this I've been saying Mm. for so long, but I really appreciate this. It's like crystallizing right here in my hands in this conversation of like, that's it. So literally when I realized and discovered that we teach people how to treat us, not Mm. by how we treat them, but how we treat ourselves. Yes. Yes. Yes, it's true. When I say that to people, ooh, it's so profound. But I also mm. need people to understand how profoundly hard it is for certain <laughs> yes. people. Like yes. I can say it all day, mm-hmm. but when people understand that that the box that I've been in, those coping mechanisms, the way I've existed, has always been to pour into other people yes. Yes. desperately because I need to be poured into. Yes.
1: Yes. Whew. Yes. Mm. And that's, I mean, I have such a huge heart for twos and I do think this is because I've grown my heart for myself in this process, right? Because I, I mean, I'm going to, I'm. this might be controversial, but I'm just going to say it. I think twos are the most misunderstood type on the Enneagram. Mm. And I'm just going to put that, I'm going to put that out there because well, nice. people are like, you're just helpful. You're so kind. You're so sweet. Mm -hmm. You just want to help people. I'm like, fuck you.
0: (laughs) That is my residence laugh, right? And it doesn't feel controversial to me because I've lived my life as a two. Yeah, I, I feel like I would even add, you know, maybe overstating definitely not as versed in the enneagram as you but i would say not only do i feel we're the most misunderstood but i also feel like we're the ones people think they get the most so oh, it's like it it like you said it's just like oh you know there's nuance to the 8 mm-hmm. you know there's yeah. nuance there's nuance everywhere but the 2 like you said the 2s are quote unquote just they're so helpful they're so kind they're yeah. so selfless they're so nope. this yeah. and And because we are largely beneficial to other people, Mm. understanding us is not a requirement to receive our help. Nope. And so therefore people are going to receive from us regardless. So putting in the effort, trying to understand it. five, I feel like it's like, you know, you going in for work. (laughs) like (laughs) You you signing up to be like, okay, I'm going to have to really figure this thing out. But for two, I feel like, they're like and they like doing it and Mm. they're happy doing it Mm. so there's just kind of an a writing off again looking past all the depth I spent so much of my life recognizing one people don't ask smiling people what's wrong
1: Mm -mm, so as long as
0: I looked happy yep the assumption is that everything is fine And yet there was this ongoing pervasive loneliness Mm
1: -hmm. that I've
0: experienced my entire life. As a matter of fact, I'll say I feel the loneliest when I'm in a room full of people.
1: Yep.
0: And there's just something about, but you're still going to get my service. You're still going to, I'm still Mm going to be helpful. I'm still going to be kind. I'm still going to be all of these things, Mm -hmm. but there, there was no work required to be connected to me that categorizes mm. my first marriage to a T mm. there was no work or investment that I required to no. be in relationship with me because ultimately I just need someone who's willing to connect with me and yes. because oh I required god. nothing because uh, you, I because of That's that That's that 12 me. year relationship was my god like I've never villainized my ex because i re- i can recognize what i did i laid yes. myself on that martyred platter
1: yep because yep. i just
0: want to be connected so i i've never yes. felt the need to villainize him cuz he was him yeah. he was doing yeah. what he was doing yeah. he whatever but i just need people to hear us mm-hmm. when we say like there there is a cost a high cost that exists for us living in that particular way that folks yeah. sometimes will never understand because we don't mm. even know how to put requirement, how to put expectation, how how to require an investment into the relationship with us when we are mm. not healed Yeah, because we just want to be connected with.
1: Yep. Yep. Absolutely. And, and if we have even just a, a tiny bit of insight, I think that uh, we'll discover fear of requiring something. It's like terrifying because we're terrified to break If I require that, you're not going to want to be connected. If I have needs, you're not going to want to be connected.
0: That's it. That's it. Like, if I give you a choice, you might not choose me. Yeah. Therefore, I'm going to take choice away from you. When yep. I oh, realize yeah. how manipulative I was. Oh, girl. Yes. <laughs> I ain't gonna lie. I, I, those who are listening, those who know me, I can almost guarantee you that I'm one of the most manipulative people you have ever met in your life. Yes. The thing is, I know how to manipulate without making people feel manipulated. I know how to manipulate in a way that makes people think it was their idea. Girl. You <laughs> chose me when in oh. actuality,
1: I took your choice I You, I chose you and you don't have any choices. That's it. Yep.
0: Yep. That's it. Yep. And 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 how do I choose like here it is. I come into your life, I assess your needs, mm. I meet them before mm. you even know they're in need of yours. I make <sighs> myself indispensable. Yeah. I make myself such a part of your everyday existence and thriving that if you let me go, your life will fall apart. Oh, so you don't have a choice, but to choose me. And like, I say that and I get these sensations in my body because I Mm. lived like that for 30 years, 30 years. And I remember asking my ex-husband after we separated, but before we divorced, I Mm. asked him to make a choice. First time ever, he did not choose me. Mm. And while it was simultaneously devastating to me, I can now realize that's when my life began. Mm. The moment he did not choose me and then I had a counter-response of saying, okay, was I devastated? Was I hurt? Did I immediately try to jump into someone else's world to replicate the same thing? I did. Thank God that it was blocked. All of the divine protection Mm. that I've had, but that's Mm. really where my life started.
1: Yes, absolutely.
0: The thing I had been avoiding had painstakingly made sure I never felt
1: was the freedom Oh yes. I needed To move forward in my healing. Yes. 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 And that is what I love to tell my twos and it's so hard. And I I'm getting so fired up about this because I think if this is true for all types, not just twos, but we'll just use twos, right? As we, we're so scared of being alone. We're so scared of being rejected. We're so scared. And When we finally allow ourselves to realize that we are our most important relationship. And sometimes that comes from being rejected. And sometimes that comes from understanding that aloneness. And that is the place that we avoid. Like the plague. It is so terrifying to go there.
0: Mm. We will put things in place. Yes. To inoculate against not having to be alone. Absolutely. But I want to yeah. fast forward and say throughout the journey, when I tell you I like me, mm. I mean that. Yeah. I, I like me. I make it a point to tell my kids as well, I like you. Mm-hmm. Because loving them doesn't feel optional for me. Mm. And it and it doesn't feel optional to them either. Mm. But liking them yeah. is full of options. Absolutely. I want them to know that I like them, but I I didn't, I couldn't introduce that language until I started saying I like myself. Absolutely. And I think there yes. is a difference between a person who finds themselves unpartnered without a friend group at the moment in a new location mm-hmm. to go out yeah. to dinner by themselves
1: mm-hmm. out
0: of necessity. And there mm-hmm. is a whole other thing for me to live in a fa- in a house with five of us that I never have to be alone if I don't choose to, but I set out and I'm intentional to say, I need to go spend some time with my bestest, best friend. Right. That's me. And and, you know, Jay's my best friend and every opportunity we can get to spend time together with having three kids and businesses and all that stuff. We find time to be together, but listen, I find time to be with my bestest, best friend. That's me. But if I would have said that to myself 10 years ago, Hmm. That yeah. that would have been a choice I would have made, I probably would still be crying Absolutely. because the thought of not being connected to someone outside of myself was literally terrifying. It yep. was snakes being naked in public and being alone. Yep. Three things that terrified me.
1: Absolutely. Yep. For me, spiders and being alone. Okay, there you go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The naked in public thing as well. That that would probably not be great. Um, but no, you're absolutely correct. I mean, that is absolutely my that is absolutely my experience. And so, and what I find to be so like profound for the people that I do work with and the majority of tubes I do work with. It's just it's so hard to kind of allow to slowly like bend your energy toward yourself so that you start to take on the gravity in your own world. Mm. that you give to everyone else right so yeah. that you have the same ruthless presence with yourself that you have with everyone else mm. right mm-hmm. that is that is the goal right that is that is the way that we discover who we are essentially
0: yeah in such a beautiful way and yeah. i i think if If what you and I, Melinda, were talking about right now were just a set of behaviors,
1: Mm.
0: they would be easy to
1: change. (laughs) I believe that. I agree.
0: But because we're not just talking about a set of behaviors, like it's not that we just like helping or choose to help. When we understand that everything we do and don't do is directly connected to belief. Mm. So change is hard. Yeah, when changing a behavior means you have to sit and evaluate the belief you hold about mm-hmm. said behavior.
1: Absolutely. So
0: in that existence of you know the the manipulator for the sake of connection, mm. I could there were no boundaries. No boundaries can't coexist with that existence. So yep. as I start to hear this word and I start to do this trauma recovery and I I start to heal and then I gotta preserve and protect. That which I'm building because yep. what we value, we protect. Yes. How do we know this because cars and houses have yep. alarms. And yes, you know, when you when you go to a hotel, if you have something valuable, you try to put it in the safe, you don't just leave yep. it out. Conceptually, yep. we understand this, that which mm. we really value, we put more effort into protecting. Yes. Well, I didn't value myself. Nope. So there yep. was no need to protect myself. Therefore, yep. I had no boundaries. Now you tell me I got to put boundaries in place and I have to learn to start saying no to the things I don't want to do. Well, if it's just a fact of practicing saying no, if it was just the behavior, Mm -hmm. I probably could have done that a long time ago. But that Mm -hmm. behavior of not saying no was directly connected to the belief that I'm a good person.
1: Mm -hmm. And I think probably directly, at least for myself, directly connected to the belief that I need to do it in order to survive.
0: Got to do it to survive. I am a good person. Yep. My worth and my value are directly connected to someone's response when yes. I do it. See, it wasn't yes. even just doing it. Because if I did it and you were ungrateful, then I didn't do it good enough. Right. So my worth and value is directly connected to how someone responds to yes. what I'm doing. When yes. we understand how deeply embedded those beliefs are, we will put some mf and respect mm-hmm. the healing process yes. because i feel like externally people look at the work we do and it's like oh that's cool i'm like it ain't cool no understand we are in warfare every oh, single that's day. Cool.
1: oh my god yeah
0: oh that's nice oh that must be cool and i'm like see that lets no. me know
1: you don't know you
0: really don't know what no this, this, this yep. personal healing and then moving out to help others heal mm-hmm. this ain't no cakewalk No, this is this is the depths of going into some of the most darkest, scariest places of someone's essence and helping them loosen the grip they have on beliefs about themselves and the world that it makes 100 percent sense that they have when you look at their life. They didn't make it up. No, it made sense. Mm -hmm. Right. So I just think there is a depth. To what we do, that mm. folks genuinely don't understand. No. So if I pause here and say, now let's go up maybe ten thousand feet and look yeah. at all nine types. Mm. When we say, okay, yeah, healing, yeah, therapy, but when we are introducing the enneagram specifically, yeah, into how we are hoping folks, shepherding folks, sherpa in folks through the mm. healing process. Mm-hmm. Just can you illuminate a little bit about why the enneagram has been helpful and instrumental for you yeah. walking with folks during their healing journey?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I think I think that having a tool that is so comprehensive around bringing awareness to not just our behaviors but our beliefs and motivations is essential, right? And so When I'm looking at the Enneagram from that 10,000 foot perspective, it really is looking at every type and helping that first step is helping people to really deeply understand that the ways that they engage in the world um, have been coping mechanisms based on these beliefs and motivations, right? Like, you know, sevens, for instance, let's take sevens. You know, the reason why, like, have you noticed how positive you are in everything? Have you noticed how you hate getting into these quote, negative unquote emotions? Have you noticed how you avoid that when you're with others? Have you noticed how much energy you take out of yourself in order to be in these super fun situations, but you're never really present? Mm. Have you ever noticed that? Yes. Let's talk about why. Oh, you're afraid you'll never get out of negative emotion if you sink in it. There, oh, you're terrified of being in that space and truly getting into the depths of yourself and others, right? And and more, right? So when you start to bring that awareness and then get deeper into the motivations and the terror that comes based on your type, right? Eights, wow, like what if you knew that you were way more vulnerable than you would ever own. You take care and protect all these other people, but what about, what about your vulnerabilities and weaknesses, right? And we can do this for every type nine. So What if you knew you were more powerful than you ever thought possible, but you're terrified of being seen, right? There's just so much that we do as the nine types to, to yes, to cope, to survive, but right. That awareness and then getting down to the things that we fear, um, the motivations for those behaviors, the beliefs that prop up those behaviors. Only then do we start to then engage in change. And often the things that we do, these disrupting tasks and these d- disrupting um, uh I guess maybe beliefs that we try to um that we try to take in and, and ponder and really you know maybe put into um action to see what happens, which is what I tend to do with my clients, like try this out. Mm-hmm. Note note how hard it is. That's part of the process. Right. Then I feel like we start to just slowly break, shred that box. Mm-hmm. Right. And I get to watch people. And be with people as they're like, I'm scared to shred this. And I'm like, I know, I know, girl, I know person, I know, I'm with you. Like, is this box holding you back?
0: Yeah. And the therapeutic relationship becomes the place where the unboxed thing can practice existing. Yes. I call the therapeutic relationship the practice ground for a reason because let's be Mm -hmm. real. This we're starting out, people gonna put themselves back in that box and they're gonna go back to work and they're gonna absolutely and, and I say, okay. Of course they are. If I if, if I if I took the box from you, that's not kind. No, yeah. no that's not, not regulating. But no. while we're here in this relationship, how about you come out, lift the top, come out, mm-hmm. see that you won't die. Mm-hmm. The brain needs to know that. The body needs yes, to know that. Wait, absolutely. I, I did it once and I didn't die, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. love the Enneagram. Like I said, it's a mirror. Mm-hmm. And what happens with mirrors is you can look at it sometimes and be like, oh my God look how beautiful I love that's so beautiful but when you start out if you don't go oh what is that then it's probably not your type like if I question
1: you have your type
0: yes if you are not disgusted by what you are hearing or reading if there is not a defense that comes up in a resistance to go but wait uh uh-uh then it's probably the wrong type because I'm telling you it is something about looking into a mirror that can see you fully naked mm-hmm. and you being like, oh my goodness, yeah, that's there. Yep. I didn't know. I can yep. proclaim being a manipulator because I've done the work. Yes. But Absolutely. when I first read a description oh, and it used the word seductive. <gasps> oh, yeah. I was like, ew, no, that is yes. no, that is not me. And the reality God. is hell yeah it's me. listen if you listen mm-hmm. to this podcast and you have been for three years part of that is the seduction of and and, and we have this habit of yes. only thinking about sexual seduction oh yeah no it I, goes I, so beyond that so much beyond that. i'm not talking about sexual seduction yeah. i am talking about the way that if you come within six feet of my orbit you cannot resist me Mm-hmm. period I, I'm mm-hmm. being for real for real. you talk to people the feedback it's just it's something about you that sucked me in yep and yep. if I'm not aware of that now yes unhealed unaware that's great right because we've mm. already shared that being right. connected is felt like the ultimate Everything. desire and Everything. so if I could do all of that and bring people into this web and then make them mm-hmm. stick and they can't mm-hmm. leave that seems like a gift right Yep. But now I realize yep. I, I work so hard not to take away people's choices. Yeah. Like oh. they deserve choice yes. and I deserve choice because I didn't yes. have choice either because nope. I wasn't going, these are the characteristics I want in a friendship, a relationship, a partner, a job. I was going, who's willing to accept me?
1: Who's getting and stuck in the web? Who's getting Doesn't stuck matter. in the web?
0: And Doesn't matter. If there are these parts of me that you need me to be different so that oh, you yeah. stay stuck. Oh, of course. Yeah. Well, then let me just change that. right? Yeah. That word seductive, it took me out. I was so resistant and rejective Same. of that word. No, no, Same. no, no, no. And now I'm like, hell yeah. Let's yes. be real. Manipulative yep. as hell. Like when mm. I can see myself clearly, I can now look in without shame. Key Yeah. without yes. shame.
1: Thanks for saying that. That's really I, important.
0: It's huge. Yes. I can notice when it comes up and shows up again, and go ah, there's that automatic response. I see you, girl. <laughs> I thought she was gone. No, okay, no. feel you okay. Sit down. All right. So hey, let's have this conversation. Yes. And every type has that opportunity. Absolutely. With the Enneagram. Absolutely. To see themselves clearly with an awareness that then, because what I realized is within that box, even if I got everything I thought I wanted in the box with me, there's such a whole world out here that I wouldn't be experiencing. Mm. So instead of trying to pull everything into the box with me, I went, what if I just left the box? And it's more vulnerable. Mm. It's scary. Mm. It's loud and wide. And, Mm. but, but I'm traversing it. And yeah. and I'm grateful for that. But I yes. also want to tell people like the capacity to 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 kind of be self led in that comes yeah. after you're in safe relationship
1: yes. within it. Yep. Yes. And I think that's really essential. And whether that's a therapist or, you know, a close person, right? But but yeah, that's really important too. Like I would never be able to do this without the coaches, the therapists, the my husband, you know, my best friend, right? Yeah, supportive community. Yeah, it's really important. Mm. But yeah, I mean, but also I think that growing and burgeoning relationship with myself. Like I will take myself out to dinner. Mm-hmm. I do that like every other week. Mm-hmm. It's awesome. It's the best. Because I like me. <laughs> I because uh, <laughs> I love hanging out with me too, and so much more. So much. I mean, I feel like I still have some like levels to grow in terms of my own self-obsession, which I'm fully (laughs) on board for growing, but I, I, I'm so much further along than I was before. And I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful for that. I have so
0: many tingles. Like, this has been so good. Mm. Like, oh my God. So I'm sure we are going to find more ways to continue our conversation and collaborate. Please. But for now, is there anything I did not ask? Is there anything we didn't get to? Are there any parting words Mm. that you want to leave with the listeners?
1: Mm. That's great. I think just if any of this has been you know, intriguing, inspiring, you know, maybe led some of your listeners into questioning, like, you know, what is my Enneagram? Or do I have a, you know, I wonder if there's more for me in this, then I would just really encourage them to, um, to open themselves up to that and, you know, maybe do a little more research or conversation with a friend or find a therapist or coach that really knows about the Enneagram. Um, because there's so much, there are lots of great tools out there and this is just my way, um, but there's just so much richness there for you to know who you are without shame and to get to know yourself in, in that mirror, right? Like looking in a mirror isn't about like, you see all the things about yourself, like you said, like the good and you know the not so great. And that's a, that's a part of being human, right? And the only way that we can start is to know where we're, or the only way to like grow is to know where we start from, like the factual, true place where we begin. Mm. And so, if any of this is intriguing and you want to go deeper, I just, there's so much there. I just want to encourage your listeners to just, you know, to dive if they feel like it's really resonating with them.
0: Yes. And if folks heard something in your story or our conversation that, is intriguing to them that want to reach out to you and get to know mm. you or find you how yeah. can people reach out and find you
1: yeah yeah so I um I would encourage them to go to my website um so com. I have actually a free guide I just put together with growth tips for every Enneagram type so if you're like what are some of these challenges that like I could try to see like how to even see my box I really encourage you to to go there download that Um, I'm also on Instagram at Invatera Counseling. So I, I dropped some wisdom about the Enneagram and potentially some fun memes. So, you know,
0: I love it. Y'all know we're going to have all that information in the show notes. (laughs) Um, you know, sometimes I, I usually try to tell, um, folks how I know the guest and, um, I would say most people probably won't believe this because of the connection and chemistry we had, but I met (laughs) Melinda today.
1: Uh About (laughs) Uh, 15 minutes 15
0: minutes before we started (laughs) recording, Um, which I love when this happens. So shout out to Joanne Kim, former guest, right? Where after she and I met each other because somebody Mm -hmm. else was like, you need to know this person. Oh, she's- Joanne and I, we were kicking it. And she says to me, okay, you gotta meet Melinda. And I'm just like, I trust you. <laughs> like, you know, and yep. so she introduced us just in mm-hmm. a, Hey, this will be a good connection. Yep. We set out, Hey, we'll record the podcast. But I, I just want people to hear like how it sounds like we've been friends probably for a decade. For, for, yes, we've done for a lot her. of, re- nope, we, we, we met. Today. We
1: just met, we just met each other.
0: Yes, man, and there is something brilliant about that that I want people Mm -hmm. to take away Mm -hmm. I think that there's a lot of story and narrative around relationships Mm -hmm. that they're hard that we can't find our people there Mm -hmm. is something what I will say is since I've been on this deep healing journey what I found Mm -hmm. is that I don't have to find my people they find me
1: oh that's so true
0: and so I'm so glad Melinda that we found each other I am so grateful that you took time out of your day to share your essence and your existence with me and with my listeners and you are welcome and invited to come back anytime.
1: Thank you so much. I've loved this so much. Thank you.
0: So welcome. So y'all, my typical shout outs. I want to thank Jay Sugg from Instant Classic Media, who is my producer, my co-host Hetty Nam, Trey Angel, who provides the music and Stephanie Just Spencer, who makes sure y'all get all this information through the social media platforms. Um, the Labors of Love team is amazing, and we are so grateful that y'all continuously check in. I like to let y'all know we're we're headed towards seventy four thousand downloads and listens. What? Like, can y'all just hear that? Seventy four thousand times, somebody made a decision that like I. I want to listen to this. I want to be in community with the labors of love. That will never not mean the world to me. So y'all, my listeners, I love y'all. If you have suggestions for content or guests, hit up my website, www.thelaborsoflove.com. Go down um, on the welcome page and there's a form you can fill out. Let me know who y'all think I should be talking to and who we should be connecting with. Uh, We're on all the social media outlets. But I just want to say a heartfelt thank you. Every time y'all tune in, it means so much to me. Um, Until we connect again, you all be well.